Elisha, the successor to the mantle of Elijah, was captured by 10,000 men. Now, let me tell you, you, how many of you ever heard the phrase, bad to the bone? Now, let me tell you that Elisha is the one man in the Bible who lived that distinction. Because after he died, they buried him standing up. And one day during a battle, they took the corpse of a freshly killed soldier, threw it in the grave of Elisha. And when that soldier touched the bones of Elisha, just his bones, the soldier came back to life. Now, when you can raise the dead while you're alive, you're bad. But when you're bad is when your bones can raise the dead after you're dead. You are bad to the bone. Clap for Jesus right now. Am I right? I maybe believe we can use somebody like that today. Well, one day, 10,000 men came after him because he was giving the Jewish army an advantage every time the Lord revealed to him secret things about the enemies of Israel. So the king said, who is this that knows what I'm doing before I do it? He said, well, it's Elisha the prophet. He said, well, get 10,000 men and go after him. And when they came after him, Elisha looked and the, his assistant was terrified, Gehazi. He looked at 10,000 men trying to bust one man and he was terrified. And then Elisha said, Lord, help this boy. Help this boy. Open his eyes and let him see the way things really are. And he looked on the hillside, and there were thousands and thousands of fiery chariots poised, ready to destroy those 10,000 men. Now, I want you to be bad to the bone like that tonight. I want you to forget all of the rules and manners of church, and I want you to get a little bit bad to the bone. I want you to see yourself as filled with the Holy Spirit. Wave your hand at me right now. Say, I'm Holy Ghost filled. And there are thousands of angels protecting me. I know that was a lot to say, so let's just summarize. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Okay. Now, you are blood-bought. You are Holy Ghost-taught. You are angel-sought. Don't make me come up with more. You are special to God. And this is a special night. You believe that? How many of you believe this is a special night? Now, to, to tell you, I don't preach this way to normal people. I preach this way at Victory Outreach. You know, when you say the word deliverance, it's a word in a dictionary to most folks. But when you have been delivered, that word explodes in your spirit. Who's been delivered in this room right now? Now, the, the next thing I want you to know is that when he was arrested, he brought 10,000 men to arrest him. And he spoke and the Lord showed them all the chariots and then... He said, Lord, blind these soldiers. And 10,000 men were blind. They came as the ruling army. They left as prisoners of war with no eyesight. And he led them all to the king. And can you imagine walking up to the king's house with 10,000 prisoners? And he said, uh, here are the men that have come to arrest me. They're blind. I want you to deal with them. And this is how you deal with them. The Lord's going to give them back their eyesight, but you feed them, you care for them, and you send them home uninjured. 
Later on, that was to prove to be a terrible decision, quote unquote. Because these same army came back again, encircled the city of Samaria, cut off the water and the food to the point where people were starving to death in the city. It is at this point that the king said, I'm going to kill the prophet of God. You'd think people would get over that. Like this man blinded 10,000 people, you're going to kill him. This guy can raise the dead after he's dead. You're going to kill him. I'm Leave the man in the hand of God. Instead, they came to get him. And when he arrived at the house, the king said, here's the story I want you to know. Two women agreed to eat their child. And one, when they went ahead and ate one of the children, and then now when it came time to eat the other, the, the, wife, the mother backed down and said, no, I won't do it. And they came to the king and said, you got to force her to let us eat her child. That's when society has completely unraveled. Now, it may not seem to it to you, but that's where the Bay Area is headed. Decency is unraveling in the Bay Area. Wave your hand at me right now. How many of you believe what I'm saying? How many of you know marriage is being destroyed in this area? Violence is taking over. Areas that used to be safe to walk in. Right now, we're the 84th murder of the year in Oakland. Four that happened in one day. It, it's rivers of blood. It's killing fields. Society is unraveling. And how many, what can you expect when you take God out? You bring violence in. Say amen. Now, let me tell you why I'm telling you all of this. This man says, God, sue, do more to me if today Elisha, the prophet, keeps his head. I'm going to behead him. He walked up to him. Here's the king walking up to him with all these soldiers again. And he's got his entourage, one man that holds his briefcase, so to speak. And he looks at Elisha and said, I'm here to arrest you because you're responsible for this. America is blaming Christianity for its problems. See, America right now is honoring Islam and bashing the faith of the Bible. This man on the front row, Dan DeAnda, was responsible for us getting our building in Martinez. God used him. Without him, we would not have gotten it. God used him supernaturally to get it for us. We got it at a price that you cannot get a building. In fact, from what I heard, the owner of the building, who he is very close friends with, is still writing poems or saying things out loud about the price that I got for the building. So let me tell you something. As a joke, we got approval from the city of Martinez to use our building for meetings sight unseen. You don't get that. And jokingly, one day somebody asked me, how did you get Martinez to approve you so fast? I said, well, I told him it was a mosque. <laughs> and unfortunately, under that humor, there's a sad reality. We are at the point where the unraveling of our culture, the unraveling of our morals is at the door. It's not a distant concept. It's here. 
And with all of that, the prophet of God approached by the king, look at me, approached by the king, approached by the soldiers, says these words. Today, a handful of grain costs a fortune. Tomorrow, it'll be five cents for a five-pound bag of flour in the streets of Samaria. At this time tomorrow, grain, which is, cannot be had for a fortune, will be available at five cents for 10 pounds of flour. And the assistant looked at him and he said, if heaven had windows, this thing could not be. And the prophet said, because you opened your big mouth and you said that, tomorrow you will see it, but you will not taste it. And it came through with painful clarity. Four lepers. Four lepers. Who would God choose but four of the off-scourge and the outcasts of society? And they're sitting, and this is how human nature works. Human nature is the funniest thing. How many of you know there is no animal in the zoo funnier than human beings? No, we are the joke. And these four lepers are sitting there. And one says, if we sit here, we're going to die. The second one says, if we go in the city, we're going to die. The third one says, it doesn't matter if we sit here or if we go in the city, we're going to die. The fourth leper says, y'all can sit here if you want. I'm going to walk seven miles into the Syrian camp and I'm going to try to eat something. And they all said in unison, but you might die. That is human nature. So the four went over. The Bible said that God put a microphone by their feet, put it in his five quadraphonic nuclear-powered sound system, and made them sound like an army, a great army. And when they got there, all the men were gone. The Bible tells us that they ate. They got clothes. They got jewelry. They went through the buffet line several times before one of them said, what we're doing is wrong. We can't sit here. We got to go back. And so four lepers come with turbans and silks and jewelry dangling off their arm, trying to convince the guard on the wall that there is food beyond measure and grain beyond measure seven miles outside of town. That is called a miracle. Somebody clap for the Lord right now. Amen. Now, the San Francisco Giants won the world championship in baseball. That is a sensitive subject at this church. Seeing that Tommy Lasorda's granddaughter is the pastor of this church. And there is Dodger Blue in there. Tell me about it. How many of you have noticed how excited everybody got? Raise your hand. How many of you noticed? Suddenly people could take off work that couldn't take off work before. Suddenly people found money for a ticket that they couldn't find before. And folks were paying $500 to stand. How many of you would love to see the day when in church people pay 500 bucks to stand in church? 
You know, Lincecum looks like a skateboarder. Doesn't he look like he, he ought to be like on a skateboard? I thought I saw him win the gold medal in the half tube in the Olympics, didn't he? People found time to get off of work. It was a sensation. Now, if somebody told you years ago that the day would arrive when San Francisco, who's been waiting since 1958, that not only would, would uh, the park, AT&T Park, be filled, not only would everybody be insane, but the whole city seemed to stop in a frozen sense of excitement and unity. And they acted silly. These sophisticated people of San Francisco lost all of their smugness. Am I right? How many of you remember? Wave your hand at me right now. Now look, I'm going to tell you something. There is a correlation between that story of the giants, the other story of the four lepers, and the prophecy of the prophet, and one more. We've jumped all over the Bible, but we're having fun. Look at your neighbors say, we're having fun right now. If heaven, look at me now, if heaven had windows, these things could not be. Everybody raise both your hands to heaven right now. Raise your Pray in tongues out loud, out loud, right where you are. Oh, I don't even hear you yet. I want you to conquer your flesh right now and pray in the Holy Ghost. You might be healed right now. You might not need to wait. Power of God's already in this room in a mighty way. In the name of Jesus. Now clap your hands, everyone, for the Lord. Come on, clap. Clap for the Lord. If someone told you that in the most grinding famine to where mothers were eating their own children, 24 hours later, grain was so plentiful in the streets that it, 10 pounds would sell for a nickel. How many of you believe that if gas was being sold in Hayward for 10 cents a gallon, that the news would get out? Somebody tell me how long those gas lines will be. How many of you believe people would be in sleeping bags? Folks would be renting tankers. Wave your hand at me. Is anybody getting this yet? You see, what I want you to do is understand a spiritual principle. I want you to imagine right now this church packed to overflowing. I want you to raise your hands again. And, and close your eyes, and I want you to see every seat in this house taken. I want you to see people getting in this building two hours early so they can get a seat. I want you to imagine a traffic jam in front of your, the house of God. A victory outreach, a traffic jam, a traffic jam. Cars backed up for miles to get in here. Now open your eyes. I want you to imagine from that wall to this wall and 10 feet that way, a cluster of souls, 200, 300 people getting born again per night. 
in this church right now. You're not clapping loud enough right now. I want you to imagine it. I want you to further imagine this, this platform filled with empty wheelchairs and people who were paralyzed dancing across the front of this platform, throwing their crutches in the air, giving God the glory. I want you to imagine, help me somebody, blind eyes opening. People with AIDS crying out, I've gone to my doctor, I've been healed of AIDS, I've been delivered, and God is pouring out His Spirit. Some of you are giving me that Hayward look. That look that says, if heaven had windows, these things would not be possible. So one day, I'm going to keep the story, the narrative going. One day, someone asked Jesus about John the Baptist. You know that John the Baptist had one of the greatest moral awakenings in the history of the world. People do not realize what happened. This was before cars, buses, any mode of transportation. Folks, you either rode an animal or you walked. And the Bible said that all of Judea and all of Jerusalem came to be baptized by John. And you know what he preached? He would tell the audience, who warned you to come and hear me preach, you generation of snakes? How many of you know he was that smiling evangelist you see on TV? The Bible says that he wore camel hair and he ate bugs. Help me with that. He ate bugs. So imagine a man, he ate honeycomb, and locusts. And this Bible scholar said, well, locust was a plant. No, son, give me a break. It was a bug. Help me, somebody. It was a bug. Now, let me tell you what happened. They came out and they heard him. He had camel hair on. His hair was wild. He yelled about judgment and repentance. He said everything that was politically incorrect he had a grasshopper bug leg hanging out his lip, squeezed against his whiskers by dried honey. Yeah. He did not look like Evangelist Steve Stunning. I made that name up. Isn't that a good one? Yeah. He preached a hard word. You know how many people lived in Judea and Jerusalem when he preached? 500,000 people. When he handed Jesus Christ a movement, it was not a small one. Those who were baptized by John were in the tens of thousands and thousands of thousands until the Jews in charge of the city came all the way out to the middle of nowhere to hear him speak. And when he saw the crime families that I preached about this morning, when he saw the high priest and the Pharisees show up, he raised his voice even louder. And he said, look, now you've come out 
And do you think because you're a priest, you're off the hook? You think because you're related to Abraham, you're off the hook? God can kill you and make children out of these rocks. The boy was straight ahead. Somebody help me with an amen. John the Baptist was keeping it real. So they asked Jesus, how do you explain this man? How do you explain this man, John? More than that, they weren't asking about John, but the phenomenon of an entire society that hated God, abandoned God, had turned Moses' law into a joke are suddenly in the grips of a violent move of God. How do you explain that in 24 hours, four lepers would flip the tables and turn society on its ear? The only thing we know in the natural is what you just saw happen in San Francisco when the Giants won. It was a sensation. But those things happen every once in a while in the spirit. And the Bible calls it an open revelation. Everybody say the word with me. Open revelation. In the book of 1 Samuel it says, In those days the word of God was scarce and there was no open revelation. Now let me ask you one more question. How many of you have ever been discouraged? Raise your hand. No, I want to know how many of you have ever been discouraged? How many of you have been so discouraged you could say, I could raise both arms and a leg, I've been discouraged. How many ever wanted to quit? See, I told my wife one day, I told Michelle, I said, I quit. I quit. I'm not, I don't want to be a preacher anymore. I'm going to call my cousin Adolfo and take up his offer to sign up for Amway right now. I quit. I'm done. I'm toast. Put in the fork. I'm done. No, I'm not going to preach anymore. I told God, no. You get somebody else. These gay, liberal, latte, liberal, nonsense people are so open-minded. Their brains have fallen out. I'm tired of these leftist radicals in Berkeley. Tired of these big mouths. Tired of these funny dressed people. Tired, tired, tired of it all. I'm out of here. I'm going to move somewhere where normal people live. I'm going to get a normal job. Somebody clap for the Lord right now. First time I ever had a church clap over the fact that I said I wanted to quit. But I'm not going to take it wrong. Lord said, uh, before you quit, will you do one thing? I'll do it as long as you know I quit. He said, uh, go upstairs and pray. I said, oh, no, I know that trick. <laughs> Man, that, that's the oldest trick you've got right there. I know what you're going to I start praying. You start encouraging me. Then you make me a promise, and then I'm enslaved to that promise. I know that deal. So I went upstairs, and I prayed. And I started praying, 
The Lord reminded me of the four lepers while I was praying. He reminded me of that miracle. He reminded me of John the Baptist. He reminded me, he said, I am the God who comes out of nowhere and does things that nobody can imagine. Help me, somebody. And I can flip the culture, change the heart of Pharaoh, freeze the mind of Nebuchadnezzar. I am God Almighty. Somebody better help me with that part. And I will do it. Okay, hit me with your best shot. The Lord said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on the San Francisco city and Bay Area. And the whole world will look and wonder. That's it. I don't believe it. I won't let that get in me. Man, I fought that promise. No. I won't carry it for a minute. And the Lord, I said, confirm it right now. A supernatural confirmation. If that's true, you're going to pour out your spirit on the Bay Area, then I need a supernatural confirmation right now. And the phone rang. I looked at the phone and I wouldn't answer it. I let it ring. I knew that Jesus was on the phone. I knew. At that time, I had an assistant whose name was Alan Jump. And Alan was a good man. But he had a prank spirit. He loved to prank. And he would call me and fake the voice of somebody else. Sometime he'd be Sean Connery. Sometime... He would be uh, Ronald Reagan. Sometime he would be Arnold Schwarzenegger and various other ex-governors of uh, California. <laughs> this time, I pick up the phone and this boy said, is this Mario Murillo? I said, yes. He said, this is Bob Dylan. <laughs> exactly. So I go, Al, this is not a good time, man. And the voice said, Al, who's Al? This is Bob Dylan. It was Bob Dylan. I'm, I'm going to try this. I said it was Bob Dylan calling me on the phone. And I'm going, yeah. He said, well, Mario, I'm saved. I'm saved. And I've done an album where I'm going to openly admit to my fans tonight in the Warfield Theater in San Francisco that I'm a Christian. And I'm going to sing new gospel songs I've written. And I'm going, what is this? I'm like reeling under this. And he says, I called from, I'm calling you from L.A., and I'm on my way up to the Bay Area, and I asked my pastor, who's a man of God that can come to my concert and rebuke the devil while I'm singing? And he said, they gave me your name. Will you come? I said, I will be there. And he said, we talked a little bit more. I told him how much his music had meant to me. And then as he's hanging up, and he said, Mar, i got to ask you one more question. 
said, did the Lord tell you that he was going to pour out his spirit on San Francisco? And I'm like, some of you ain't getting it yet, but I was. Hard to believe. But it's coming. Look at me. It's coming. See, Jesus, how could we have food in 24 hours? We have cannibalism. How could we have food in 24 hours? Then Jesus, in the 12th chapter of Matthew, 11th chapter of Matthew, how? Did John the Baptist happen? How did that happen? I will never forget the day when Gerald Fry in San Jose pastored Calvary Community Church. He had 2,400 seats in his building. And he says to me one day, Mario, you've preached in our church every third Sunday for 10 years. We've been praying for revival for a decade. Would you come and preach four nights? And I told him, I said, Pastor, nobody's going to come out because I'm here every month. He said, no, I believe it'll be different. What happened on February the 7th, 1982 in San Jose, people are still trying to explain it. It went on for 22 weeks. 2,000 Catholics were born again. 3,000 other people were born again. A total of 5,000 people met Christ. You want to hear something that is absolutely unbelievable? Sandra Day was a Lutheran woman with infantile polio. She had one leg three inches shorter than the other. She wore a metal brace to stabilize with a foot uh, heel on the shoe. When we prayed a prayer in San Jose for healing... The people who were holding her hand, all of our eyes were closed. They fell on their backs when the power of God hit her. The pain in her leg, because her leg started to change, forced her to take the brace off as the metal was bending. She saw that her leg was the same length as the other and began to run up and down the stairs. Mari, you're making that up. It was on film. And we played it on the 700 Club, and I watched Pat Robertson just about swallow his microphone. And let me tell you something. One of the, if there is a woman like Madonna in Brazil, it was this lady who sang and danced, and she was, uh, had done all of the things that a woman who just wants to be known for her sexuality did. She was the leading soap opera star in Brazil. And one day the Spirit of God spoke to her and said, you have nothing to live for. And if you'll go to San Jose, you will find God. She could speak two languages, Portuguese and Spanish. She gets to her agent and says, we've got to go to San Jose. She thought God meant Costa Rica, San Jose. But she had to go further north to San Jose, California. She flew all the way to San Jose, landed in the San Jose airport, and in Spanish said to one of the agents, one of the bag handlers that were there, where is God moving in this city? 
and he instantly directed her to Calvary Community Church. When she walked into the building, she received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I'm not getting any excitement out of you here. Somebody give God the glory. Now, look at your neighbor right now and say, it's coming again. And I want to tell you, don't give me, don't give me any attitude right now because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this. Look at me right now. How do I base this? Do I base it on trends? No. Do I base it on the economy? No. Do I base it on any known phenomenon right now? Jesus explained it this way. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Now here's what I want you to see. Everybody look at me because I'm almost done. There's a set time. That's what Jesus is saying. There's a set time. From the day that John the Baptist began to preach, an era was in the world. And the kingdom of God came in the form of an open revelation. And when the kingdom of God is revealed, it doesn't matter what religious leaders are doing. It doesn't matter what television said. It doesn't matter. Because when the kingdom of God is revealed, the hungry are going to stampede toward it. And the sick are going to come. And the broken are going to come. And nothing will stop them. From then until now. In this second go around where once again I tried to leave the Bay Area. The Lord instead told us to buy a building in Martinez. We are not a church. We will not start a church. I am not a pastor. Look at me. I am not a pastor. I'm going to try that again. My wife is about to yell amen real loud right now. I am not a pastor. How many of you seen the Geico commercial with the question, would a former drill sergeant make a terrible therapist? And, and this pennywaist guy is laying there and he's going, and that's why the color yellow makes me sad, I think. And the therapist goes, that's interesting. You know what makes me sad? You do. Maybe we ought to chuck on over to Mamby Pamby land where maybe we can find you some self-confidence, you jack wagon. Then he offers him tissue. Throws the box. <laughs> you cry, baby. That's why I am not a pastor. Because if you came to me for counseling, I'd look at you like, are you really saying this to me? Why don't you just fast pray, yell in tongues an hour and see if you feel better, you jack wagon. <laughs> Somebody look at me right now and tell me. I want you to get this. I'm talking to you the way that Elisha talked to that servant on the king. He said, look, if heaven had windows, this thing will not be possible. I want you to imagine, I'm going to try it again. Imagine a parade for Jesus bigger than the gay parade down Market Street. No, I'm waiting on you right now. I want you to... 
I want the devil to understand, yes, 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 Lucifer, the Bay Area is a masterpiece of cyber technology. We are eBay. We are Google. We are Apple computers. We are the universities of the world, Stanford and UC Berkeley. We are intellectual. And there's a gay spirit on top of it all. There is nothing here for the Christian faith. But wait, there's a God. Oh, no. Not, but wait, there's a God. But wait, there is a prophecy. But wait, there is power. And greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. We serve the God who comes out of nowhere. Say, I believe it. I believe it. You know what you got to do? You got to saturate yourself with that. You got to say this. I don't go by what I see. I don't go by what I feel. I don't go what the experts say because none of them know the power of God. The power of God. The power of God. Go ahead and just clap and shout one more time. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is an open revelation. And two polarities suddenly discover each other. And they are inextricably and unavoidably attracted to each other. A God who loves the lost and the lost who see God openly revealed. And they'll run toward each other. And every hypocrite and every liar and every, every false way will be trampled underneath them. And that's exactly what happened. They wanted John the Baptist dead, but they didn't dare lay a hand on him. Because the people, the people, the same kind of general excitement that hit when the Giants were in the World Series can hit for Jesus Christ in this region suddenly there'll be Jesus everywhere there'll be Jesus on the 11 o'clock news there'll be Jesus in the classroom there'll be Jesus on the front page of the chronicle there'll be Jesus on the end of our tongue and the people will say how is this explainable it is not it is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit now I'm going to ask you something and I want to tell you what's holding us back what's holding us back let me tell you when it's God's time nothing can stop it I know that when the Lord renewed my spiritual lease to stay in the Bay Area, he's saying, son, it's getting close. It's getting close. The time is coming. But Lord, it, how is this possible? It is possible, my friend, because revival does not have anything to do with morals in a culture. When John Wesley began to preach in London, Every sixth house in London was a house of prostitution. One out of every six homes was a sex parlor in London. More people were going to seances than to church. Children were sold on the street. Children grew up like animals on the streets of London. One day they asked Charles Dickens, 
They said, why hasn't the rivers of blood that we see in Paris happen in London? He said, there's only one explanation, the preaching of John Wesley. I know that we believe that mild, compromised uh, salesmanship is the way to preach today. I know that we believe that we ought to keep out the active ingredients of the Christian faith in our sermons. But let me tell you what, a day is coming where the cry for holiness will be so loud and so widespread that the people of God will scream out to God, purify my heart, take away every evil thought. People will not be able to stop praying. People will fast and the church doors in the Bay Area will be open 24 hours a day. And God will come down and purify the body of Christ in the Bay Area and get rid of disunity, help me somebody, and competition and false doctrine and foolish game. Everybody look at your neighbor say, it's coming. Say, it's coming. It's coming. Glory to God. Oh, just clap your hands. Amen. Come on, clap your hands right now. Finally, from the days of John the Baptist until now, Matthew 11, verse 12, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Here's what it says in the, in the Hebrew, the Aramaic. Forceful entry. The kingdom of heaven suffers forceful mass entry. And the violent take it by force. Let's read it again. John the Baptist until now. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. You know who I want you to be, young lady? Look at me. I want you to be the violent. You know who I want you to be, brother? I want you right now to join me in a special condition. A condition that's incurable, irrevocable, irreplaceable, non-negotiable. I want you to be the violent. The violent prayer. The violent believer who violently says to God, I'm on the earth for a reason. I want everything you have for me. Lord, how many of you feel that right now in your heart? I just want to know you. I want to know you. I want to be so filled with God. Anybody want to be filled with God besides me? The violent take it by force. I want to have violent faith. I want to have violent belief. I want to have a heart after God which is so completely unrelenting that when I'm in the, on the job or I'm on the freeway or in the, my darkest hour, I feel Jesus all over me. And I can finally say to God, I am a soldier. I'm a soldier. I'm not here for a hot flash or a cold chill or a soft nest or a golden parachute. I'm here to tear devils apart in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody help me with this. I want to know you. Tell the Lord right now. Clap your hand. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to have all of you that there is. I want to be filled to overflowing, Lord, with Jesus. Just Jesus. 
Come on, clap your hands one more time. Bow your heads, everyone, please. It's a pretty rowdy sermon, man of God. I admit it. This is the message that I wish would ignite all through the entire Victory Outreach movement worldwide. Because it's already a movement that loves God passionately. You see, with Victory Outreach, God doesn't have to talk them into things. They're ready. All we need is that tidal wave of the Holy Spirit to begin. Oh, I can feel it. Something's coming. The wind of the Spirit is starting to blow. The hearts of broken Christians in the Bay Area, the grandmothers who've prayed, the churches say, Mario, why did you come to Victory Outreach for these three nights? Because this church has got to keep its doors open. This church has got to be here when this thing happens. I don't want to see boards nailed across the front door of Victory Outreach in Hayward saying we're closed for lack of funds or lack of support. I want this house with every door open, every bill paid, every debt canceled so that we will rejoice in having to have church three times on Sunday and every other night where we have to have a staff of preachers one after another after another to collect all the souls where phone calls will be coming and emails will be coming from all over the place I want God I need God Help me find God. And we'll be ready. We'll be available. That's why Satan came against this church. I've got to kill him. You see, the devil attacks at birth. Tried to kill Moses as a baby. Tried to kill Jesus as a baby. And in Revelations He's depicted as a dragon waiting for the mother to give birth to a child to consume it. Oh, if you only knew what God has in store for this congregation. If you could only grasp why it is life and death for this work to go on and be strong and grow. And it isn't fair. No, it isn't, my friend. Every once in a while, history will find a remnant of believers who have to hold their ground with special strength, who are left to carry an unfair amount of the burden just to be a bridge and to hold things together until the breakthrough. That's who you are. That's who your pastor is. That's who I am. I'm part of a remnant. A remnant. It's going to hold on to a dream and never let go because the power of God is even at the door. Now, Father, let this truth 
get in the heart of every believer that's listening to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody clap your hands. Give the Lord praise. Come on, give the Lord praise right now. Isn't he good? I'm going to win souls right now. That's what I do. I have to win souls. Hallelujah. Excuse me just one moment. I'm feeling the power of God all over me. I just got to. Woo. <laughs> Boy, I tell you what. I don't know how I'm holding my feet still. I feel like dancing right now. I do. Man. Hallelujah. Give me two minutes to win souls. Everybody look at me. The hardest of the twelve to win to Christ had to be Matthew. He was a tax collector. He took money from his own people and gave it to the Roman Empire. He was a hardened man. I believe all the disciples looked at him when he approached Matthew. Wondered what would he say to this hardened man? What argument? What would he would he tear him to shreds verbally? Would he be gentle? None of them could have imagined that Jesus would give a short speech they thought it had to be a long one if he's going to tell Matthew to turn to God he said two words he said follow me that's all he said and the Bible says and immediately Matthew arose and followed him today you have a lot of questions and I'm going to tell you what I believe is the number one reason that you today are not serving God because somewhere you bought into the lie that this life for God is impossible to live. You can never live without the drugs or live without the sin or live without the addictions. That's the great lie. That's, that's the devil's masterpiece right there. Tell people you can't live this. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Christian life is the only natural life for the human body. The Christian walk is the only one that is sane, the only one that makes sense, the only one that pays you back for everything you invest in it. If I were to take a moment and describe the life outside these walls and tell you, I want you to receive the devil as your personal savior, so that every drug you take will kill you. Every relationship you ever have will explode in your face. And every single dream you will ever know will be shattered. And you'll be chewed up, spit out, and left in a nameless grave. That's what the devil has. Instead, I'm going to tell you something else. You come to Christ right now. You come to Jesus right now. He'll give you the life you were born to live. The love you could never find anywhere else. No matter how tangled the wreckage is of your life,
the Lord will straighten it out. He'll give you a plan. He'll give you a hope. I wish of all things, I know I could win you to the Lord if I could do one thing. If I could take the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that I feel in my soul, put it in a bottle and let you taste it. You'd run to God. You don't know how hard your life is right now. You know, you, you've told your parents and people, my life is hard. Let me tell you something. They'll say you're feeling sorry for yourself, not me. I'll tell you, it's even harder than you know. Because it isn't until that moment that you give yourself to Jesus and all the insanity stops that you finally realize, how did I do that? How did I live without his love and forgiveness? How did I do that? Well, fortunately for you, you're not going to do it anymore. You're going to stop right here. Close your eyes, if you will. Oh, I can't tell you how much I love winning souls. Mario, pray for me that all my past will be forgiven, that my soul will be filled with love, peace, joy. Pray that I will be set free of every habit that is destroying me. I am sick, Mario, that I've lost my family because I was a drinker. I've lost my job because habits controlled me. I've lost my way. Here's my promise to you. If you'll let me pray for you. The power of God will make all the difference in the world. Now, wherever you're seated, wherever you're seated right now, if you'll get ready to put your hand in the air, here's what's going to mean. When your hand is raised and you raise it to God, you will say, I do not want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I don't want the devil in my life one more moment. I want all of my past and all the sins I've ever committed washed away. I want to officially transfer the ownership of my soul from the devil to God. And I want God to keep me for the rest of my life and into eternity. I want Jesus to save me now. If that's you and you will let me pray for you, put your hand in the air right now. Put your hand in the air if that's you. Now, don't wait one second. Stand up. If your hand's in the air, jump to your feet. If your hand's in the air, jump to your feet. You don't need anybody to persuade you. I told you how John the Baptist preached. That's the way it is. It's the truth. Now, if you're standing for Jesus, get out of your seat.